Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, picking up again today in Ephesians. I already asked you, but let me do it again. What's the theme for Ephesians? Chapters 1, 2, and 3, speaking to the Christian. Christian, you are wealthy. Now, walk worthy. That's chapters 4, 5, and 6. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Again, it's been a couple of weeks, so let me get you kind of geared up again to where we've already been in this book. Uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 speak to the Christian. And by the way, if you're not yet a Christian, listen up, because this is what you're missing out on. Okay, chapters 1, 2, and 3 says to the Christian, God has taken you, a sinner, on death row. He sent his only begotten son to die in your place in exchange for your life. He has made you white as snow. He's paid every sin, past, present, future. Your, your slate is clean and it, and it will remain clean. He's adopted you into his family. He chose you before you were born to be in his family. You and I had earned death, but he gave us as a free gift, it says, eternal life. We were enemies to him, but now he calls us his friends. He made us his friends through his death. We had no relationship to him, to God. We were very far away from God, but he brought us near to him. If you're a Christian this, mor Christian this morning here, the message to you is despite all you've done, you have 24-7 access to a God who loves you. I dare say he likes you. Right? He's not a God who, well, I love you because I have to. No, he actually likes you. The Bible speaks of walking into his throne room boldly. Just you're a kid of the king and you can walk right into the throne room. And the, the picture is that he smiles when you do it. He's happy to see you. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, written to the Christian. You are wealthy. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 begins the, the response, reasonable response to that abundance of blessing that he's put upon you. Chapter 4, verse 1, look at it. I, therefore, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, he's writing it from prison, says, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You're wealthy, Christian. Now, walk worthy. I want to say it again, and I'll probably, I'll probably try to say something like this almost every time now through the end of the book. This, once again, chapters 4, 5, and 6, is a bunch of things to do or not to do. But it, it is in by no means how we earn God's love. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 has been very clear. God's love is His free gift to you that you only receive by receiving His Son. Okay? It's never to earn God's love, but chapters 4, 5, and 6 are our chance to return His love. Paul said a few weeks back then, now getting to, to the details, chapter 4, verse like 2, 3, and 4, Paul said, first thing I want you to, to realize, guys, therefore, since you're so wealthy, walk humbly. That was the first thing. Then a few weeks back, our second point was, since you're so wealthy, since God has blessed you so much, walk in unity. Today, Paul's third point Therefore, in response to God's ridiculous love for you, walk in maturity. Uh, you could say grow up. Let's, let's read through our text this morning because I want to show you first, just right off the bat, how many words 
have to do in our text with growth or maturity, growing up. Okay. when I pause, I want you guys to read the next word nice and loud. Okay. I'll start in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. That means building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a Perfect. Yeah. Perfect man. It means complete, mature uh, to the measure. Uh, how does a doctor know that a child is growing? He measures. OK. Um, of the stature. Y'all, that's a tall word. It talks about growing of the fullness. That's completeness of Christ. And then he then he goes in the negative and says, uh, look, these are things that you want to be aware of. If you're growing, you won't have to worry about this. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying. It means to build up of itself in love. Do you guys see it? Sometimes that's the easiest, quickest way to find the context. Wow, he seems to be talking about growth a lot here. Context of the passage reveals itself very quickly. It's growth. Paul's message this morning is Christian. You are wealthy. You've been blessed. Now walk worthy by growing up. Anybody heard uh, this week any news about royalty in England? Anybody heard anything? Okay. Um, I heard that, that Prince William and his bride got three new titles just for being married. Right. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. They are also now the Earl and Countess of Strathern. Maybe some of you guys from across the pond can say it. Um, and this is even worse. Baron and Baroness of Carrickfergus. Carrickfergus. Okay. Three, three different titles. And all they do, did was get married. They didn't do anything really to earn these titles. You guys realize how parallel that is with the Christian law? We just we're the bride of Christ. We haven't even done anything. But because of that marriage, you have now been given all sorts of amazing descriptive titles. Here's one. Forgiven. Redeemed. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Child of God. The Bible says that he made us kings and priests. That's an upgrade. We're citizens of heaven. We are the children of the king. I think Paul would say to this group here this morning, he's saying to the members of the royal family, if you will, in this room. You've been adopted by the king. You have literally gone from spiritual rags to spiritual riches, from a spiritual pauper to a prince. But it wasn't so that you could play video games and eat delicacies, right? He says it's time to grow up. It's time to grow into your royal robes. And believe it or not, that's why he sent me. I know. Sounds crazy. Look at verse 11. And he himself, that is God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and here I am, some pastors and teachers. 
We saw this a few weeks back. God himself gave me to be your pastor and teacher. I am God's gift to you. Ta-da! And you say, what did we do to deserve this? <laughs> well, here is why God has cursed you, uh, blessed you with me. It's to help you grow. Look at verses, verse 12. You'll see two words, equipping and edifying. This is what the pastors, evangelists, all these folks, this is what we're supposed to be doing for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know, that's that's my job description in one verse. When we had uh, the sign that was outside the, the YMCA and it was, uh, it was what was made of canvas or something. And that was the verse that we put underneath it for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And oh, by the way, who are the saints? That's right. It's another title that you have been given. Right. Saint Reed. St. John. Hey, if anybody knows somebody named Bernard, could you send him here? So we can get him safe. St. Bernard. I took this off the uh, web this morning at 547 this morning. Pope Benedict the 16th beatified Pope John Paul II before more than a million faithful in St. Peter's Square and surrounding streets Sunday, moving the beloved former pontiff one step closer to possible sainthood. Beatification is the first major milestone on the path to possible sainthood. It's not assured, maybe, one of the Catholic Church's highest honors. A second miracle attributed to John Paul's intercession is needed for him to be canonized. And actually, he's on the fast track, apparently. Benedict put John Paul on the fast track for possible sainthood when he dispensed with the traditional five-year waiting period and allowed the beatification process to begin weeks after his April 2nd, 2005. Listen to this. Benedict was responding to chants of santo, subito, which in the Latin apparently is sainthood immediately, which erupted during John Paul's funeral. They're saying they were yelling at the time. We want him to be declared a saint now. It's on the fast track now. Still, it's been six years since he's passed on. Y'all, the Bible says that a saint is not an extraordinary dead Christian. Now immortalized on a dashboard. The word saint in the Bible. Listen, the word saint in the Bible means holy, set apart. And listen to this. It is used for every single run-of-the-mill average person who's been made white as snow. Set apart for God by the blood of Jesus. And I was thinking, the moment that you died in Christ, that you surrendered your life to Him, the moment that you died, God said, Santo, Subito, Sainthood, Immediately. You've heard me say it before. It's fun to say there are not three categories of people, sinners, Christians and really good Christians called saints. There's just two saints and saints. That's it. There's just either you've given your life to Jesus and he's forgiven you of all that you've done and you're headed for heaven or you haven't. And here's my job. Ephesians 4.12. My job is to equip those who used to be saints but are now called saints to grow up and live like 
the saints and not like angels. I have been tapped by God, sorry, here in Eustace, Florida, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. That's you guys. For the work of ministry. Now, did you notice God's genius plan to get the word out? God's plan is so much more efficient than the way Americans tend to think church should work. Can I read verse 11 and 12 for you how we think it reads? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to do the work of the ministry. Right? The way that we tend to think of church in America is this. Let's hire an amazing staff of pastors and administrators, and they will do the work of the ministry. And at the center of it all, we'll have some charismatic, dynamic, young, extremely good-looking preacher. You may be surprised to learn that's never been our goal here. We weren't shooting for that. We just got it. You know, many people, especially in America, think that the church's mission is to entertain. And the people come not to worship, but to watch worship. They come not to serve, but to be served. They come not to minister, but to be ministered to. The average church in America says to its pastor and the staff, the work of the ministry, that's what we hired you to do. But Ephesians 4.12 says that the pastor teacher has been given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Equipping. It means to furnish, to supply, to make another fit for something. I got to thinking, how can we describe this? The picture that we have of a Sunday service should be much, much less like a theater or an auditorium and much, much more like an armory. Where you come to get your weapons, you come to get equipped. Less like a theater where you come in and get entertained, more like an armory where, armory where you come in and get equipped. And then you, the saints, go out of the armory and do the work of the ministry. Now, granted, this is a pretty sweet deal for me. I get to preach and you guys have to do the work. But y'all, this is a great deal for you. This room doesn't have one minister, one preacher. This room has a hundred or more ministers. It's a promotion. And it's God's plan. Think of how much more efficient God's plan is than ours. Not to have just one minister per church, but to have 200 ministers of the gospel. Returning to the armory every week to be equipped and then being sent out on missions, right? It says both, both doors, you are now entering the mission field. Sent out on missions of mercy, divine appointments, preaching the gospel with and without words. Interesting, the word equipping there can also mean to mend. To mend what's broken or ripped, to repair. It's a great word talking about mending nets. Picture again for me is of you, the fishers of men, because Jesus says you are, coming into shore to have your nets mended, that you might be more effective fishermen and fisherwomen. 
Imagine an endless sea of fish out there, more than you can possibly take in. Imagine that the ridiculous picture of a whole town showing up on the shore to watch one guy fish. Instead, wouldn't it be better to have the one guy handing out poles and nets and repairing nets? The the former is the typical American view of Christianity. The latter is God's view of Christianity. Let's, Let's put a point on it now, personally. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Am I passive or active in ministry? He calls me a saint. Am I doing the work of the ministry? Do I come to Sundays like it's an auditorium or like it's an armory? Do I come to have my net mended? I know some of you do. You come to have your net mended because you've used it so often. It's worn out and you need to have it mended. Do I come to have my net mended or do I come to watch someone else fish? Do I come to worship or do I come to watch? Do I come to be equipped or to be entertained? Do I come to serve or to be served? Y'all, this is one of the reasons, and I know it's been uncomfortable, but I think we're starting to get a little bit more comfortable with it. One of the reasons that we promote praying for one another at the end of our services. Y'all, my job is to equip you. What better way to equip you than to practice? How can I pray for you? Hey, what's, what's going on in your life? How can I meaning, meaningly pray for you and for your inner man? I want, to, I want to challenge each one here this morning. When you come here, please, please do your best not to come to an auditorium, but to an armory. Not to watch a fisher of men. Because I'm actually, like I said, I'm not even gifted at it. I'm not that good as a fisher of men. I'm, I think I'm decent as a teacher. Not to watch a fisher of men and a bad one at that, but to be a fisher of men. So, so far in this one verse... You guys are like, well, we're going to be here a while. Um, You've added to your resume the title of saint, which means holy, set apart. In the the Blue Letter Bible, it said an awful thing. (laughs) Okay, that that could describe me, a saint, meaning an awe-inspiring thing. Okay, Um, you've added saint and minister to your resume. Now, here's the thing. Don't let that title, minister, intimidate you. Because in the Greek, it's just diakonos, it's deacon. It means a servant. If you think, well, I could never, ever be a minister. Y'all, it's too late. God called you one. You're a servant, right? You might be a bad one, but you are a servant. You're ministering to folks. Okay. The Lord gave some pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying, that is the building up. Of the body of Christ. Part of my job is to edify or build up the body. I'm a bodybuilder. Probably already knew that though, didn't you? Edifying, it's oikodome. It's it's a construction word. It means the, the act of building up. The act of one who promotes another's growth. Listen, in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. Now, here's the thing. Believe it or not, I'm not the only one that's called to be a body builder. Look at verse 16. Skip down just a second. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That happens to be you guys. 
according to the effective working by which every part, that's you individually, does its share, causes what? Growth of the body for the edifying, building up of itself, of the body in love. Okay. In short, and, and we'll cover verse 16 a little bit at the end as well. In short, what this says is that each one of us is called to be a body builder. That way to the beach. No. Um, how does it look? I'm okay. I'm supposed to be a body builder. It doesn't look this way. It looks like, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your inner man? Maybe it's a phone call. You know what? I just want you to know how thankful I am that you teach my children every week. Or maybe it's no one else seems to maybe nobody else notices, but your service to the church or your blessing to me. But I do. Maybe it's this body building the body this way just to someone who needs to hear. Hang in there. Jesus might come today. Maybe. Maybe even it might even be through correction. I hate it, but sometimes that's how we build up the body by correcting, saying, ah, we need to talk this out. We need to, to work through this. OK, so there's another application, y'all, and there's multiple ways you can do it. But very easy application to actually know that you did it. Do some body building this week. OK, look at verse 13. Verse 13 is job security for the pastor. Because my job is to equip the saints to edify the body until we all come. We all arrive to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So my job is secure until we all arrive together in unity to be perfect, just like Jesus. Till we all measure up to him is what it says. Now, I I think I'm going to be busy for a while, right? Uh, the word stature there is till we all walk as tall as Jesus and it says and we are have the same fullness of Christ, the fullness of eternal life. Um, God's, Jesus says, um, I've come that they might have life and that more abundantly. OK, there's, there's plenty of work to be done. Verse 13 is very, very clear. But it's interesting, even though that will never happen in my lifetime. Interesting to me that Paul says that's the goal. That's what we're shooting for. We can be more like Jesus than we are today. Now, how I think there's two key words that will help you to make that progress. The the words in verse 13 are faith and knowledge. How do we come? How do we become more and more like Jesus? How do we measure up a little more every day? How do we grow into his big shoes? Um, How do we have that fullness of his um, of his stature in the royal robes that have been given us, right? Almost like a picture right now. I feel like a guy that's the royal robes are way too big. How do I grow in that? Two things, faith and knowledge, not faith in faith, faith in Jesus. Because it says there till we all arrive, uh, we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God. I think it could more correctly um, be. We could understand it better if it said of the faith of the son of God and of the knowledge of the son of God. Faith, trusting in Jesus, keeping our eyes on him no matter what. Consider Peter. You realize all of his life up until one point in time, one morning he woke up and he had still never walked on water. Just like Jesus. Hey, Jesus had done it, but nobody else had. And he certainly hadn't. He was still when he woke up that day, part of the not walking on water club. Then 
listen, in the midst of a terrible storm, he became more like Jesus. By focusing on Jesus and not the storm. Faith in him. Trusting him. Right? And you guys know the rest of the story. When, Paul, when Peter looked at the storm, he quickly went back to part of the sink like a rock club. The, the way to become more like Jesus, though it seems an impossible task, is to focus on him. To trust him. Keep your eyes off the storm. Keep your eyes on him. Look at verse 13. Till we all come, that is, arrive to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is really key, the knowledge of the Son of God. The other key to growing up, to measuring up to him is to know him. How many times do we say that? Abide in him. Just you, you need to know who he is. You need to know all about him. You need to spend time getting to know him every single day. Let's take the same illustration, okay? Peter, would he have ever asked the Lord to have him come out and walk on the water if he didn't know Jesus? I don't imagine hearing this. Fred, if it's you, command me to come and walk on the water. Fred. Fred doesn't have any... Everything I know about Fred doesn't make me want to come and walk on the water to him. See, what I'm getting at is the kind of faith, risking it, that going for it kind of faith, it only comes when you actually know Jesus. When you know what he's like. Jesus, Peter, only because he had, uh, he had knowledge by experience of Jesus would he ask him to, to make him like himself. To know him, probably the best way to say it is to trust him. If you want to trust him, you have to know him. You have to know what he's like. And what is the number one way to get to know him? The Bible. You're holding it in your laps. Read it. Get to know him. When you do, you'll find out you can trust him. And when you trust him, you'll focus on him and be end up being more and more like him, even though that seems like an impossible thing to you right now. Oh, by the way, there's another growth benefit of knowing him and knowing your Bible. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children. The, the, metaphorically, it's uh, to be childish, to be untaught, to be unskilled. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro. Uh, the word is klydonitsamai, and it's, it means to be tossed by the waves. And uh, carried about, that means to be driven here and there, in doubt and hesitation, to be led away from, to, from this opinion to that, to be like tossed by every possible wind. It says to no longer be carried about with every wind of doctrine. The word doctrine is teaching. The word wind there is a violent, tempestuous wind. Again, we've been talking about being kids and growing up. The picture here is, y'all, imagine a couple four-year-olds out on a sailboat, but completely unskilled in sailing. Suddenly a hurricane comes up. The boat is tossed this way and that way, every wind blowing it in a different direction. I think Paul's saying, look, some Christians are like that. You probably know some. They, they go from this book to that book, from this Movement of the Spirit to the next one. They're always waiting for the new experience. 
They don't have any skill in actually navigating the boat. They're at the mercies of whichever the wind, whichever way the wind is blowing, the winds of doctrine. Somebody teaches this. Oh, that sounds really good. Somebody, well, hey, that sounds really good. Blown by the winds of doctrine. Here's the problem. If you're one of those people, you are at the mercy of deceitful men. Look at it. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery. Where it is literally dice playing. I'll explain that in a second of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful. It means uh, wandering about plotting. Y'all, what Paul is saying is the people that want to fool you are really good. They're really good. Uh. Dice playing. The idea is, um, what is that phrase in, in, a, in a card game? If you can't find the mark, you are the mark. The idea is they're going to take advantage of you. The, the people who are desiring to make you wander from the truth, Paul says, are really good at what they do. They're professional con artists. They are cunning, it says. They are crafty. And where it says plotting, it means they're methodical. Paul says, don't be a sucker. Grow up. Wise up. Again, how do you do that? What's the anchor for our souls in this case? It's the word. Knowing the word. When, when some guy says, hey, if you'll just uh, invest in, in, this, uh, in this ministry, your, your, your seed of, of faith... It's going to come back to you and they use they use a very small portion of a scripture and basically say, hey, I'm going to get your money from you. And that's the only thing they're really looking for. If you know the word, you're like, oh, wait a second, that that doesn't that doesn't jive. The anchor for our souls in this uh, tempest tossed world is his word, knowing Jesus through his word. Otherwise, Paul says you're a sitting duck and you're a kid in a tempest. OK, now. We need to quickly conclude here, so I'm just going to roll a little bit quicker here. I'll just name the principles that we've uh, talked about and just barely touch on a, a couple more. Number one, Paul has said, look, grow up. He says, you've, you're a child of the king. Just, just grow up. Do that which you already know to do to grow up. Number two, he says, I want you to begin, even though you think it's impossible, to, to make it your goal to measure up to Christ. Number three, he says, wise up. Wise up because the, there's people out there that want to take advantage of you. Be in the word in season, out of season. Be ready. Be studying him so you won't be fooled. And then in verse 15, very quickly, first thing he says is uh, speak up. Sometimes a Christian needs to speak up. And but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Speaking the truth in love. We've talked about it, so I won't belabor it. Seems to still be a thread and it's probably going to be in our church because I'm blessed. The Lord actually has us paying attention to what's important, making sure that you keep short accounts with each other. Sometimes you need to speak up. You need to say what you said there. Is that what you meant? Because that's not I'm not sure if that's what I heard. But can we talk this out? Speaking the truth. But it says in love. Some people are really good at speaking the truth. You're terrible at that. <laughs> No, speaking the truth in love. 
but speaking the truth in love may grow up. There's the goal in all things into him who is the head Christ. He's starting to talk about the body of Christ, the church again. And notice that he says it's the head is is Christ. It's not the pastor. It's not the pope. Christ is the head of the church. And he continues that picture. And he says in verse 16, if I were to put it in two words, step up. Christian, step up from whom the whole body that is us. We are joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That's us individually, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The idea is when we team up and everyone steps up, the the work that the Lord is, is wanting to do in the body happens and we grow up collectively. Part of growing up is speaking up in love, but it's also stepping up, contributing to the growth of the body by doing whatever it is that God has gifted you to do. How many times have we seen First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14? Paul continually uses this and he used it in Ephesians. The picture of we're each part of the body, right? Um, you might be the hands. You might be the feet. You might be the mouth. Careful. Um, you might be the strong back of the church. Christ is the head, and if we all do what we're made to do and we're all listening to the head, getting our orders uh, from the head, then we don't have to work real hard. We just show up and do what we're called to do, and the growth happens. So there's no time really to expand here because uh, we're running out of time here, but the principle, in short, is to step up individually. I don't know what that means for you. So that the body grows up collectively. I guess you could you could probably conclude it this way. A lot can be done when we all jump in, when we all step up. Yesterday, Chris and Dana had a sod throwing party. You know what that is, right? Where you put grass down on the big things of sod and get dirty. Um, I was only able to go for like the last uh, hour and a half or so because I had a gig at uh, the Salvation Army's convention down in Orlando, we sang, listen to some of the words we sang, like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints, all the other saints throughout um, uh, the, the history of the world have trod. When I finally showed up at the Hocuses, there were lots of people there. I actually did very little, which was probably best for everyone, but I did a little bit. And when you combined my very small effort with all of the others, it was very impressive. Before nightfall, the whole yard looked completely different. Um, Saw on Facebook this morning there were some bad puns that floated around about this. I won't share them with you because it's not my style to tell bad puns. Um, But I wanted to share this. I did very, very little, but because there was so much help so quickly, Chris can now go back in the backyard and say, Dana, we are treading where the saints have sawed. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (sighs) Now, what's my point? I just wanted to get that pun in. Um, But it does illustrate a lot can be accomplished when everybody does just what they can. Right. When individuals step 
up. Let's close just by reading through this text one more time. And, and I'm going to we're going to repeat what we did. Have you guys read the, the growth words? OK, and we'll close. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect that is mature complete man to the measure of the of the of Christ that we should no longer be that's right it's a negative word but it, this, the idea is grow up tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the saints. Or there may be some here who don't think of themselves that way at all. Thank you, Lord, that your word is very clear. That's how you think of them. I ask, Lord, that you would um, maybe encourage some even today, Lord, to lay aside uh, the sin which so easily besets us and clothe ourselves, Lord, with the, the righteous robes that you've, you've purchased for us at such high expense. Pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to grow up to walk worthy of the amazing calling that you've given to us for free that we don't deserve. Thank you, Lord, that there's no, I have no sense of fear, Lord, that you're going to take the title from me. But you do want me to grow up. You do want me to, to walk worthy, Lord, to grow into these mighty robes of righteousness that you've given for free. And I pray that you bless each one here uh, this morning as we just... Contemplate your word, Lord, as we pray together, as we uh, submit to you, Lord. All that you want to do, Lord, we, we just ask that you would do it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.